This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jim Peters, CFO of Whirlpool Corporation, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 564. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Brian Wenzel, CFO of Synchrony, the financial services company that's today 17,000 employees strong. This being a finance listening audience, many of you might recall, Synchrony split out from GE Capital back in 2014 and there and then was taken public. Now, Regarding our CFO guest, it was roughly 20 years ago that Brian Wenzel made up his mind that his finance career path would someday land him in the CFO office of a sizable GE division or a publicly held company. As CFO of what is formerly a sizable GE unit that was then split off and taken public, Brian has arguably achieved both. Also on today's show, we have an afterpod. That's right, immediately following our discussion with Brian, we are joined by Grant Halloran, CEO of the company formerly known as Host Analytics and is now Planful. Why the name change? Why do so many organizations struggle with a planning gap? And how FP&A teams can better adopt an empowerment mindset. Grant answers these questions on the Afterpod, while our discussion with CFO Brian Wenzel begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Today, it's a valuable part of our, our success, but 
being not being afraid to fail, not being afraid to say, okay, let's try it. If it's something big, stand behind it. But then you get past it and you move forward. So that, that, that was a big moment for us back in the mid 2000s. You know, you, you know, I can't tell anyone the uh, story of my career not going through the kind of economic crisis, right, in the late 2000s. And, 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 and uh, in there, it's really about. Um, you know, the uncertainty that existed both inside the economy as well as the structural issues with Sweden at the time. And really kind of understanding the customer. I brought up on the customer side, we'll probably talk later in the podcast about this, but but having that understanding of the customer and understanding what they were going through and, and having the empathy and the ability to move the strategy quickly in a very dynamic and unpredictable marketplace. Uh, it was crazy. When you're, when you're talking to customers and going through what they had to go through from a collection standpoint and how you had to alter your strategies was very important for us. The uh, ability to discern what's happening in the marketplace and then be able to bring it to, to, to reality. And, and then the third thing, and you, you know, you, you know, one talks about sanctuary sometimes, how bringing our, our more parents uh, to you into it. But really, the reinvention of this company back in the 2013 to, to call it 15. Where here is about being bold, decisive, and, and, and then once you kind of set the course, stay the course. So for us, it was about looking at our company, saying, what are the best processes, what are the best values that we had from G, taking those and saying, what's really unique about our company? Because we were fairly unique inside the G ecosystem and really kind of thriving that. And as you do that, you know, we had to renegotiate all our contracts. I was on the front side of the business. All our major contracts with customers had to get, get renegotiated within a period of two years. That's an incredible amount of uncertainty and execution that you had to do again, being bold and decisive during, during that period of time. But more importantly, it was about investment for the future. You know, GE did not invest as much in this business. And for us, it was about how do we know how do we know where to place the dollars, where we want to place the dollars, where the long-term investments can come through. And they were longer-term investments. They didn't pay back for a number of years, but we were spending very little on technology to really invest in the digital, the front side of our business, to really get to really leading now uh, capabilities, whether it's the compliance uh, side of our business, whether it's the card holders, uh, the use side of our business, or the servicing side of our business. So, you know, standing up that new company, you know, trying to create something built on 85 years of heritage, but allowing the freedom and flexibility, and also the uncertainty of, of, of creating processes that we really just took from GE. So, you know, you have to make those bets. You have to take the risk at times, but you got to stay the course. Wow. Some of some really uh, revealing experiences. Thank you for sharing those. Now, very quickly, I just want to spotlight that first chapter of your career uh, where you were with uh, Coopers and Library, which, of course, later became Price Waterhouse Coopers. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. And from there, you really, you jumped into a corporate job inside the healthcare sector where you really establish yourself as a, you know, a corporate finance. Do I have that right? Is that fair? Or would you describe things differently? That, that, that is fair. I, and I wanted to, when I graduated college, I had an accounting degree, became a CPA, wanted to be a partner in a, in a big accounting firm. And, and I, I picked up so many great skills and attributes there, but decided about five years in, that wasn't the course for me. And I, I had a very unconventional job with a startup company that was running uh, multi-specialty medical centers. And, and, and I was auditing big chemical parts of a pharmaceutical company. Now I'm dealing with this healthcare company, but you learned in these smaller practices that employed a couple hundred people, but you learned different jobs in different aspects. And I had the ability to do different things from controllership through running the business, the operations side of it, uh, through risk management and financial business development. So. So one of the things throughout my career, and I, I, I tell our, our finance team, those critical experiences you move through there, going through treasury like data GD, going through controllership, going through financial planning analysis, being on the business development side, seeing the business and interacting with folks from many different facets makes you a much better business partner. You become more senior leader in the company. Well, we are. We probably have one or two more questions career-related for you that we'll get to later uh, during our mentoring round. But right now, let's find out about synchrony and understand better your day-to-day. This is no longer, uh, I think, a, a good number of processes that have been put in place over the last 
two years. So this company is a pretty sizable company today. But let us tell us about it. Tell us about Synchrony today, and you know your mindset as a finance. Yeah, you know Synchrony today. You know we're founded on a couple of key principles. The first one is a very deep partnership mindset. We're a generally B two B to C company, so we focus and rally around partners and, and having that customer first mentality is really critical to our success. We've been doing it for 85 years. We, this business was founded uh, by financing over three years in the Great Depression. So that deep kind of front end at the point of sale, when a customer needs to buy something, so finding a financing solution for them is at the core of our heritage. But that business has changed over time, um, but you have to understand your products and your customers there. And now, as, as you kind of look for more work today, you look at this agile mindset, and really how we've pivoted over the last couple of years is how do we embrace more multifunctional teams? How do we do things in short bursts and of these longer processes here to get a product to market, to get a customer journey to the place we want it to be, uh, developing digital tools and assets that our customers use, having more cross-functional teams that are partnering together to do that. And finance is a big part of those teams as, as we do that. And then the unique experiences, again, around that customer, starting first with the customer journey to that agile mindset. And then, you know, where, where we are is our industry is under tremendous, tremendous pivot right now. So we have, you know, fintech companies coming in. There's other people who are trying to create different form factors. Other people are trying to get involved into the payment space. It's a very evolving landscape. Um, if you look at the digital economy that's out there today, so, so the, the intersection between financial institutions provider team and networks kind of colliding. The whole use of data. Everyone talks today about data. And it's interesting if you talk to most of our partners, they say information is not the problem. It's what do I do with the information and what are the big thoughts? And that's where we've invested a tremendous amount in our business around data scientists. What are the analytics tell us? How do we take that massive amount of data that we get in processing transactions and turn it to actionable items? And value that analysis so we can pivot the company and move the company to where we are. And, and the last thing is really around, you know, everyone's focused on the customer journey. How do I get friction out of the point of sale? You look at the expansion of our, our retail partners and omni channels about how do I create the right experience for the customer? Whether the customer wants to shop in a brick and mortar store, whether the, whether the customer wants to be in the store and use a mobile device, whether the customer wants to be on their couch, however they want to shop. The, partners are pivoting towards that, and we are taking our journey to make sure that but however you want to accomplish that, we're there for our partners and looking for our, 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 uh, our So, Brian, I'm wondering if you could zero in on a, uh, a particular process for us that had to be built up after the organization spun out from GE. There were missing parts here. There were things that weren't as developed. Uh, as you would require, and it had to be uh, like any other uh, startup or, or uh, new enterprise, you have to build from the ground up. Is there a particular process? Because many of us would think, oh, sure, GE, as if there's any possibility that you get off to a bad start with that, that language. Uh, what, is there a particular process where you'd say, you know, in fact, you'd be surprised? What, what would you share with us? Yeah, you know, the process that, that has developed is, is probably the core part of our business where I, where I focus. You, you know, just take one step back there. We had to build everything from scratch. We did not have a, you know, the, the very mundane benefits that HR and paying people create that process or some of the regulatory reform. We had to build all that up, right? But where we took a process from Germany, which was a very good process in, in the credit risk world, we took that process in and it's okay. It's a very traditional process. You go out, you get underwriting scores, you compare bureaus, you look at your data, you, you kind of put a score together and say, yes, no, I'm going to on it. We have developed that process and invested so much now. So now we're taking multiple data elements, both from our partners, we're bringing it in. We have a thing called engagement score. We know how Jack is engaged with our retail partners before he engages with us. So we have an idea of who you are. We look at our 80 million active, active uh, cartilage. You're probably one of our active cartels. We look at the information there. We have a much better picture. And then we take these other sources of data from different sources where we can get more information on you. We use technology now to 
authentication. So if you're using your cell phone, we can pre-populate applications down to a few different sources. So we've allowed these things to come in so we know the customer better, both the combination of data, uh, technology, and really then be able to put it into our credit operating model, which was very good under D, and brought it to really, you know, we think of uh, a much higher class, uh, a much higher class standard. Ask you about your, your, your finance team and the skill sets you're looking for today. Um, and of course, you were in GE through so much of that growth at GE Capital, that expansion, and you're aware of the types of people they were always looking for. What I want to know is what's changed? Is there, and again, this, this whole uh, intersection of data and finance, the skill sets, the analytical skill sets are there. But something changed. How would you describe the people you're looking to populate your team with? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As I started out a little bit earlier, Jack, we took the best of the processes we like there, and then we combined it with some new things. So if you look back to our, our heritage, um, the focus on execution at this company is different than any company I've seen, uh, either in public County or I know or I've talked to. It. Our ability to execute and rally around things, particularly problems. It's just unbelievable. So execution at its core for finance um, was a core shortage that we have. The thing we probably do a little bit more of now is, is I kind of stepped into the role as, as our company has is a more maniacal focus on the customer. We're really driving near the center of what we do. Our job every day we wake up is to help our retail partners and merchant partners um, you know, increase their sales to drive value back to their most loyal customers. The customer being at the center of what we are, and inside GE, that sometimes gets lost, but that is something that we do. Inside finance, then we say, okay, everyone inside your finance function touches something that ultimately has to impact the customer, whether it's settlement with a retailer, whether it's um, our ability to, to get certain reporting out and analytics out. We touch things that go to customers. We touch things that allow our marketing programs to be more efficient, and we partner with people in the business. So that focus is centered around the customer is really uh, is really critical. And then it's really about, you know, it, it, this business has accelerated its transformation about, you know, being a, a big supporter of agile digital tools. How do we kind of bring it? So in the side of the finance function, what we've got to do is, is, is create a new mentality, right? Look at things that you're doing from a non-value-added perspective. Raise your hand. Let's get those things on a piece of paper and say, okay, let's get those out of what you're doing and focus that on, not necessarily on productivity, but more on doing value-added things. This is the introduction, uh, introduction really, of uh, artificial intelligence into our forecasting process. We have a huge amount of data having the system do a lot of that work, and then we provide more of the art of the forecasting on the top side of it, driving um, uh, process automation inside our account workings or measure processes so we don't really touch um, manual challenges and closing books within three days. But having people have that ability to, to go after tools and those non-value activities, that starts culturally with the thing of don't be afraid. Uh, it then goes into a piece where we have to train people on how to use these tools and, and what to do and how to reinvent themselves. When you talk about analytics, it's how do we train people to be better at analytics? What does that mean? So, again, giving them the, the reassurance from a finance perspective that we're not doing this to eliminate jobs. We're here to get you better trained, put you into better jobs, and also allowing the finance function to, to go into other functions and, and to cross over and do different things. They have a unique skill set across the company uh, that's very valuable, whether they're in credit or in risk or some other part of the business. So, again, my, my focus on the customer, their reinvention, the diversification, and then well, we'll confess we're on a quest to uncover the ultimate uh, customer engagement metric. Obviously, there are quite a few, but I'm wondering if there's one in particular that you find uh, that you've discovered along the way that it, it's really a, a wonderful KPI, uh, and, and it didn't occur to you in the past, or maybe you looked at it a little differently. Maybe it's just customer engagement on your sites. Is there anything like that that, that uh, has become top of mind for you as you pursue this laser focus on the customer? Yeah, you know, you know the, the great thing about my background, a little bit, Jack, you know, I, I, I spent a good 
number of years here in integrity and you know, given the process before traveling the country, going and visiting retail partners and listening to them and, and what, what drives them. And, and one of the things that we measure now more so than we ever did is what's the unique ways and what's the customer. And, and what they want to know is how is the customer touching me? And sometimes they can't see it. Is it through the website? Is it going into the store? How are they using the card? So we have more advanced analytics that we're able to support them about how all those interactions are happening. And then bringing them together. So, so this index, this customer engagement index, is bringing things together to say, okay, where did I touch the customer? How did the customer come across me? Maybe they're looking for servicing. Are they looking for how much open to buy they have? Are they making a payment? Are they on your site shopping? Bringing that all together into one look and feel. For the retail partner, that is what's been critical. I mean, we were maniacal about how quickly we answer phones, resolution of calls, resolution of issues, things like that, service level standards on systems. We had all those measures. It's really this customer engagement and having a more 360 view of the customer, which is uh, much more critical for us now. From what you shared, the other uh, sort of answer that popped out at me is uh, when you said, don't be afraid. It seemed to me like that's a point you're, you're making pretty widely to your team. Is that a fact or no? A misread that. That, that? that is a fact. No, Jack, it's a fact because here's the thing. In my role, a lot of times we are making decisions without perfect insight into all the data to make those decisions. So what you have to be able to do is get a process of data is, is, is excellent and then have diversity around the people you're getting your information from a perspective and take all that data when you don't have a fleet, you don't have a fleet, making a decision and, and standing behind that decision and moving forward as a company. That is where we, we are moving as a company. That is what I am pushing as, as, as a finance leader here in the company. Don't be afraid to fail. We're not going to bounce out if something bad happens, but we learn from our mistakes. You fix them and you move forward and you try not to repeat them again. But having an understanding, you're going to have to make decisions with imperfect information. Here's what I want to know, just in regards to don't be afraid, because I think it's something we're hearing from other finance leaders as well. But given your career with Built-in GE, where partnering with the business has always been an important component, at least the last three decades, uh, would that have been said in the 90s? Would that have been said in the early 2000s? What's different now where you're making that, you know, your, your surface message? Yeah, you know, a couple of things. I, I think when you're inside large companies like like GE, there's there's this whole thing about how do I climb the stairs to get to the top, right? So, so you're, you you want to be able to get through those stairs as quickly as possible, and not have a footfall. I think in more nimble companies, when you look at companies like Amazon, Microsoft, um, companies like ourselves, you know, more you know, a little bit more smaller tech companies, it's okay to try and, and, and fail something. And so I think there's a, there, is a, there is a little bit of shift in, in, in size of companies on that. But I think the bigger thing is, is, we, is the workforce is migrated. We have a lot more millennials and other folks that are in the organization that are more trying to things and more to do things. And that's, that's given us a breath of fresh air into the corporate culture. And uh, it's really important to vitality because if, if you want to try to get everything perfected and, and, and not failure, you're at lag behind the market, speeding everything today, whether it's the digital capabilities of, of the company, how things are transforming so many, so many different industries, is moving at, at, at a pace that we have not seen. So you, that has to be one. Companies are not in, in the, the Fortune 500 today that were in 20 years ago, but companies that were afraid to pivot and move into it. I go back, I, I tell a story about our company, Jack, about Toys R Us, and it is an incredible brand. Everyone understood it. It actually had great products, but it operated the same way for 30 or 40 years. And what it allowed people to do was create a different experience for customers, a different way of shopping, um, a different store experience that, that allowed them to, to get beaten down by competition because they didn't change. They weren't bold. They just kind of did the status quo. There's companies like that, and you go through the Fortune 500 and find lots of companies that did that that are no longer here. So that it's really kind of, to be honest with you, um, becoming more table stakes to be, to be bold and not to be afraid. Okay. 
So we're up to uh, what we like to refer to as our finance strategic moment question. And Brian, while your career was built on, you know, having these regularly, daily, what have you, uh, the, the idea here is that uh, we only have a short time with you, so we're going to allow you to identify the moment of strategic insight that you'd like to share. And again, this could be any time during the course of your career where you experienced a moment of strategic insight due to your, your uh, lines of sight into the numbers. What comes to mind when we, we ask for a, a finance strategic moment? Yeah, you, you know, great question, Jack. So what I would say, the, the financial strategic moment, you know, for me in my career was around um, partnering with, with the commercial side of the business, right? So we would execute uh, and price, whether it be a new relationship or a lower relationship, uh, et cetera. We controlled that process. But we were not in the background kind of running numbers and giving it to the first guy. We were sitting at the table with the partner and listening to them around what they want for structure, what do they want to accomplish, and then how do we balance that risk-reward spectrum between the partner and ourselves. And, and I would be involved in those conversations. I led a lot of those conversations um, during the time when, that I was at the retail card platform. It allowed you to come up with really innovative structures that make customers needs and gave you a competitive advantage in the marketplace. So when I look at that, you know, I look at the relationship we won from PayPal not long ago. And it's about a business that, that they acquired the old building later business. They knew it very well. They, they, they wanted to keep it. They had certain needs that they had. It's listening to them and creating a financial structure that met their needs as well as meeting the needs of, of our shareholders and providing the, 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 the tools and capabilities to the commercial team to navigate and win that was, was just tremendous. And it is something that, you know, recently, um, you know, I'm extremely proud of and it made a huge difference in our company. That was really a door opening when the demo relationship came up that we just announced recently. That allows, even though there are two different companies inside of PayPal, and, and demo is very unique and it's going to be a different product, it allowed us credibility at the table about being that value added partner. And, and my hallmark in, inside the retail card um, platform days was really being a part of that combined with the structure of listening to them and not just being, here's what's on the shelf, what can we do differently? And those were moments, uh, and they go back to the time, what brought those relationships that really um, backed our company. Really, really was enjoyable for me. It's just a great experience. And our company, we had the opportunity for a lot of finance people to, to engage with customers. And, and that's what I try to drive every day inside of financing is being maniacal about customers. It is so critical about that. You know, the lifetime value of the customer is huge, and if we screw it up, we just waste a lot of money. And so being focused, I don't care where you are in the organization, you can answer somewhere else, be maniacal about the customer and, and have the experience of participating really on some of these large relationships. Even some of the small relationships has just been, uh, been been personally enjoyable for me, but just a, a great leapfrog in my development as a fan leader. So if you still feel as though your FP&I team is like just more of a, you know, respond to questions, we'll do some analysis versus empowering budget owners and decision makers in the company to get access to that information and insight themselves, then that's another really big sign that I would call the planning gap. That is the voice of Grant Halloran, CEO of Planful, who joins us on the Afterpod immediately following today's CFO interview, which reminds me, when we return, CFO Brian Wenzel enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back 
with Brian Wentzel, and we're stepping into the mentoring round. Brian, we begin with a big question, which is to ask you, what is it that's exciting you now about finance and business? Not 20 years ago, but today. What is it that's exciting you? Well, it, it's really it's really the pace of change. Our business changes every day, and, and it's exciting because it's not the same repetitive job that's coming in. Each, each day, each year is, is generally different, and the attributes in the environment, the attributes in, in inside the company. So everyone kind of goes out and well, retail is no change. No one wants to shop for every work. I hear that all the time. I hear from investors. And I remind them uh, politely that 90% of all transactions will happen inside a brick and mortar store. So brick and mortar is not going away. The experience is changing. So just the pace of change and the adaption um, is so critical. The one thing about that excites me is that we are um, the leaders in partnership with all the functions inside our company. So we are we are not the speed bump that says no. We're the thought leaders who are the ones to provide risk reward spectrum. So we're at the front side where we talk about strategic investments in the business, how they pay back, where we should be allocating capital. We're in there driving. And when you have the ability to partner with people, and because we see the entire company link to link, you can bring a unique perspective. That gets me excited. And I love the fact that, you know, my role, not only do I deal with the external folks and investors, but I also get to deal with the customers. And that's great because it's always good to hear from the customers. And in our engagements, right, there's times when they tell us we have missed their expectations. Those are important to learn from because they have a perspective of how it impacted them and their customers. So, so it's, again, it to me as a piece of change and really the, the, the way you plan to take business and business. So uh, this next question, we want you to look back a little ways for us. And I want to, um, I had to resist not asking you this earlier when uh, we were talking about synchrony. Uh, you ascend to the, the actual, you become an executive vice president and CFO actually earlier this year. So when the spinoff occurs, you're not CFO of the whole company just yet. You ascend to it, you climb over the last few years. You enter it earlier this year. And why am I pointing this out in earlier, uh, forgive me, 2019, if we this in 2020? Um, because we like to ask this question when you finally arrive there. Uh, what is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you? And again, what we're trying to say, no matter how much preparation you had when you get all of that on your shoulders, finally, there's something that maybe surprises you. And that's what we're looking for. After all this time, you would think, you know, you've had a CFO title inside GE Capital for different units all along the way. I should point that out. And you've been a senior finance person for a very long time. But this is a little different. And that's what we're asking you now. You're finally there, and Synchrony is a, you know, a standalone company. Here it is. You are the CFO. Is there a piece of advice you would like to have had? Just to you know, turn back the clock when you entered that office for the first time. Sure. And, and I want to start to a little bit of a story before I get the exact answer, Jack, because you know, this journey for me started uh, really in about 2000, 19 years ago when I said I wanted to be a large division inside GE at the time. And so that journey took me a long time, but I had this North Star I was creating as I moved through my career, different experiences that built out the capability and skills to be ready for the moment. And when we spun out in, in, in 2014, um, you know, I had, I had the, the, the discussion with, uh, with Brian Douglas, the former CFO, and with Mark King, the CEO. But hey, listen, my, my, my goal is still to be the CFO of this company. I love this company. I want to try to get there. And continuing to build along that journey. So, so the first thing I, I just tell everyone, you know, my thoughts are have that North Star. It, it may take a while to get to North Star. Um, so it may take it fast, but it takes a while. But, but be thoughtful about how you build towards it. And then the, the interesting thing for me, the aha, when, when I did actually get the nod and stepped into a deputy CFO job for a year transition. When the light came on, I was, I was generally ready for the job because there was good preparation that the board and Margaret's leadership team had and saw from the transition. But the one focus uh, or the one item that I say that was different is, you know, I thought about, hey, listen, it's going to be interesting on our next call. We're taking questions from sales side analysts, um, you know, about the, the stock and how they ask questions and that. 
at the end of the day, that actually wasn't a nerve-wracking thing because you're always prepared for it. What the, what the thing that was, was kind of the aha for me was that I represent the work of 17,000 synchrony employees and that they do such good work every day that you want to perform at your best and represent them in the public spotlight. expression, never wasted downturn, and of course we know that CE used it uh, to sort of reinvent and, and divest certain businesses and, and just reorganize itself in some fashion. It might not have been good news at a place in time for you, uh, or early, early perceptions might have been, oh gosh, what does this mean? I'm wondering if you can just take us back. I mean, and the fact is, is this was the catalyst to, to uh, where you are today. This is why you're where you are today. If you want to look at it that way, the downturn, maybe, maybe you see things differently, but for some of us, we're kind of like, wow, who knows? But you know, how would you, uh, can you take us back to that place in time and just share some of your thinking and how it evolved over time? Yeah, you know, the, the, the thinking, Jack, to be honest with you, was, you know, I'm driven by, I want to be in a situation where I can control the outcome of the destiny and add that to the table and provide guide support and information if I'm not the decision maker to the decision maker. And, and what the crisis provided, there, 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 there were two types of people I'll put in the two buckets. People that were going to be decisive, wanted to make decisions, go ahead and, and be bold and not be afraid. And there's others that want to be led, right? And, and they, were, they were more afraid of the situation, the uncertainty of the situation. And allowed me in so many different avenues during that crisis um, to be that leader, to not be afraid to, to, to take on the situation. Um, it, it just allowed you to demonstrate those skills and really hold the skills. And when you come through that, you can sit back and say, you know, I'm not sure when the next uh, economic downturn is going to come, but I know we're prepared for it because we've been through it. And it gives you a sense of confidence. But it, it, in any situation, any crisis, whether it be an economic crisis or just a crisis with a company, rallying around and not being afraid and, and, and saying, listen, I want to lead through it was uh, tremendous. Now, in our business, sometimes you, you take actions and it takes a little while for it to kick in, simply on the credit side. So you have to be patient. And this is where you have to exhibit the, the confidence and the calmness to the organization to do that. So, you know, to be honest with you, it, it, you know, it's probably easier to look back at 10 plus years later saying, you know, I, I learned a lot through that, that thing to help me develop as a leader. Um, I'm not sure I probably enjoyed it quite as much in 2009 and 10, but, but it really was a situation that helped my skills to, to perform in, in applicable and adverse situations. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to ask that. Uh, there's a question here now that we ask you to think more about your, your personal habits and your daily routine or something that you do outside of work, something you do personally, maybe it's something you do every day, maybe it's just part of your weekly uh, routine, uh, but is there anything, a, a personal habit or a, a part of your routine that you think has contributed to your professional success and stuff that you on balance? Yeah, you, you know, so a lot of people always ask, what, what do you read? Um, you know, do you read certain books, do you read certain papers? I read almost everything. You know, any, and I'll read, you know, deep into it. I'll read, of course, I'll read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Bloomberg. But different magazines and different things that have just different thoughts and perspectives. It could be on um, music, it could be on things in the arts. Having the balance and, 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 and not just being narrowly focused in whatever you're doing outside of, uh, outside of work is, is, to me, really important. It just, it just challenges the way that you think and process. And one of the things that we value as a company is really diversity and inclusion. I think the more you can um, get outside of just looking at business stuff and, and things that 
the more you become a diverse thinker and, and bring people that have other diverse thoughts and what, what, what motivates them, what do they do. So it's, it's really about exploring different uh, different forms of media, to be honest. And I, I do, I have to tell you, I do love, uh, I do love movies. So uh, most certainly Disney, Marvel, this is a customer ours, which we, we, we most certainly, most certainly love. Um, they're always good because it allows that you to think in that creative moment, which not a lot of fans people get the credit for thinking about. Um, as a reader, is there a book you recommend? It doesn't have to be a, a business book. Yeah, well, I think, well actually, Jack, it's, it's going to be uh, sort of a business book. Uh, a book I, I would recommend is we, as you look at the transformation of uh, things and really organization, there's a book out by uh, General Stanley and Chris Wilkins, and it really talked about how they had to evolve in their work in Al-Qaeda and in Iraq and how we were losing there, and they had to break down fundamental things that they they had done and built up over hundreds of years and adapt to a very different environment. And for me, it was, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? It's how we built up our careers and, and that ability to re-pivot and understand when, when uh, certain things are changing and when, when complicated things become complex things. Uh, so it's, it's a great book. It, it welds in uh, some history, but it welds in also the events that happened in the mid-2000s recently. And, and I, I just found it very, uh, very interesting. So it's just we're up to our, our final question. I'm sorry, I came so quickly, but uh, we ask you now to look forward uh, the next 12 months and share with us uh, your priorities as a finance leader over that period, over that time. Yeah, so, so the next 12 months for us, um, you know, we've had my senior leadership team together. It, it's really about, about a couple of things. One, um, how do we create the 2025 vision? Thinking for that long term. So, so what are the tools and technologies we have to begin building now to be adaptable to the business and how the business is changing? Um, so that's important to build that foundation because you have to invest for the future. So that's that's kind of one of the one of the pillars of what we're trying to do. The second pillar that we're trying to do is again this this maniacal focus around customers and getting value out of jobs out. So we're we're moving faster when it comes to the artificial intelligence and. and Process automation that happens more in the controllers and more accounting will drive meaningful projects that will deliver some results this year. And again, we have plenty of resources in some other areas of the finance function. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. Welcome to the AfterPod.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.